Well, hey, welcome to Seacoast. As you can probably tell by now, it's going to be a different morning, but uh, we're excited about that. Looking forward to seeing what God does. As we get started, why don't you take just a minute, turn to your neighbor, give them a handshake, high five, let them know you're glad they're here. We'll be getting started in just a minute. Welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So glad that you are here to worship with us this weekend. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues at an off-site campus, wherever you may be. We are glad that you are here with us as well. It's a special weekend here at Seacoast and that it is Veterans Day weekend where we have the unique privilege as a church to set aside a moment just to honor all of those who serve. So here's what I'd like to do as we get started. Here in Mount Pleasant, across all of our campuses, if you are active duty or retired military or have served in any capacity, would you stand and remain standing for me so that we can honor you? Let's give them a hand. You gotta clap, clap like you mean it. Something to celebrate, come on. Woo! Amen, so here's what I'd like to do. If you're near one of these folks that are standing as we get started today here and at all of our campuses, would you just reach out a hand towards them so we could pray over them and pray for our time together and we'll get started in a minute. God, we thank you so much for every one of these men and women. Your word says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And we know that each one of these men and women who serve have taken up that mantle to lay their lives down if need be to protect our freedom, the freedom to come together and worship you as a church, the freedom to enjoy the lives that we live. And so we thank you so much for their service. I pray today that they would sense our just gratitude, our thankfulness for their service, and that they would sense uh, your, your pleasure and delight for their willingness to lay down their lives and serve. God, we give you this time today. Pray that you would be present here with us, that you would move mightily in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, give them a hand as they sit. We're thankful for you. So hey, I'm curious as we get started today here in Mount Pleasant across all of our campuses, we kicked off our service with the same song. It was called The Heart of Worship. How many of you are familiar with that song? Okay, about two-thirds of the folks. That song actually came out in 1998, and uh, for those of you who may not have been keeping up with Christian Billboard music charts at the time, 1998 is also the year that Will Smith's Getting Jiggy With It came out. <laughs> Now, how many of you are familiar with that song? All right, there's our other third right there. <laughs> they were still cultivating their testimony. That's a, good, that's a good thing. Well, 1998 is also the year that I accepted Christ. And so, though at the time, I was much more familiar, much more comfortable getting jiggy with it, whatever that means, <laughs> God used the heart of worship uh, to really begin a whole new soundtrack in my life. That song was written by a guy named Matt Redman, who at the time was a worship pastor at a church in Wetford, England, and his pastor felt like there was a dynamic missing from their worship experience. People were coming on the weekend, they were singing the, singing the songs, uh, leaving church, like, you know, it was a good weekend, but he just felt like worship wasn't flowing from their hearts. I don't know exactly why that was, it's possible 
that their, their order of service looked something like this, where they would kick off the, the service every weekend with two kind of like higher energy celebrative songs. They were excited to be in the house of God, so they would all come in and, and sing to those, and then they worked hard to have a message that was practical, that would touch your heart, that you could leave feeling encouraged. Then they would do two like a little bit slower, more reflective songs so that you could process what God was saying to you, what you were gonna do about it. And they would always end with an upbeat song so that you would leave encouraged to take on the week. Does that order of service sound familiar to you at all? That's what we do here at Seacoast every single week, and we love it. I remember the very first time Katie and I experienced it. Our son Abel was about six, eight weeks old, and he was born a month early. He had been in the NICU for about a month, and our prayer for him had been Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. We thought, okay, God, you are able. His name's able. There's gotta be some kind of like special power there. Would you come through in a mighty way? Well, we showed up for church at our North Charleston campus, and they led off with a song about Ephesians 3.20. The pastor spoke on it. They wrapped up the service with that song, read Ephesians 3.20 as the blessing. And I looked at Katie like, we're never leaving. Like, this is, this is our home. You know, we just loved it. And to this day, every single month, we'll have hundreds of people check out a Seacoast campus for the very first time. And on the back of your Connect card, there's a little box, and it says, what did you notice first? What did you like? Ways that we can just learn from folks to help make our services better. And, and without fail, every week, we'll get comments like, man, as soon as the music started, I just, I started crying. And I don't know why, but I liked it, you know? Or the, the service itself was so life-giving. Man, I just loved it. it was, I enjoyed it. I understood the message. Thank you so much. Something along those lines. Well, the danger in our service is that once you've been here for a couple weeks or a couple months or a couple years, you, be you can become familiar with it. You get comfortable with the, the predictability. You learn the songs. You can come in on a Saturday night or Sunday mornings, and it's possible for you to sing along with the songs because you know them, to sit down and hear the message, to interact with some friends, to leave that day without your heart or your head ever really engaging with God. I kind of liken it to the way that I drive to work on a Monday morning. You know, if I'm, if I'm thirsty, I know the quickest route to go get a cup of coffee. If I'm hungry, I know which way to go to go get a biscuit. If, if traffic's backed up, I know the quickest detours. I turn on a podcast, and it's possible for me to pull into the parking lot and realize that I've never actually engaged. I didn't think about how I got here. You know, I just, I just went through the motions. And it's possible for us to do that in church as well. So in that season, Matt Redman and his pastor did much what you experienced here today in Mount Pleasant and across all of our campuses. They stripped away the band, the electric guitar, the bass, the drums, got rid of all of the, the lights and cameras, the production of the service, and for a season, they focused on the songs that they were singing, that worship would flow from their hearts, that they would engage differently with God. And for some of you today, that was pretty uncomfortable, you know, because out the gate, you realized without the band, when it wasn't as loud as it normally is, you could hear your singing voice. <laughs> so you're like, ooh, okay, and, and then you realized that you could hear your neighbor's singing voice, right? Then the moment of clarity came. You were like, ooh, if I can hear their voice, they can hear my voice. I'm gonna pull this back. <laughs> we're gonna worship from our hearts today, you know? Some of you, on the other hand, likened your, your voice to Mariah Carey's on her Christmas album. <laughs> you know, you, you let it go. <laughs> you know? 
But wherever, wherever you were on that spectrum, chances are, as we began to worship today, you had some feelings, some thoughts, some insecurities. You engaged God differently than you do on the average weekend here at Seacoast just because we changed up the order. Well, throughout Scripture, the children of God were, were very much used to engaging God differently, changing up the order from time to time. For the last year, we've been in a series called A Year in the Word where we're reading through the Bible together. We've given out reading plans, and a couple times throughout the year, we've done a series within the series to address some themes in Scripture that are prevalent from that, that season's readings. And for the last two weeks, we've been in a series called So Will I, where we've been talking about worship. We've been reading through the book of Psalms together, and this week's readings had us in Psalms 120. In Psalms 120 through 134, those 15 Psalms are known as the Psalms of Ascent. Three times a year, the children of God would go up to Jerusalem from wherever they lived in Israel, and it was in those those seasons, the times of Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths, as they would go up to Jerusalem, that they would recite these Psalms of Ascent over and over and over. As I read through them this week, there was a number of patterns that emerged that just made it so interesting for me because so much of scripture is these character studies about these guys like Daniel and Peter and Paul, Jonah, these like epic individuals and these huge, you know, epic stories. David and Goliath. There's a lot of history within scripture that we can go back and read, but within the Psalms of Ascent, there's these unique patterns that emerged that just led me to question, God, why? in the season where you would wanna prepare their hearts and minds to worship you, what's the deal with all of the order and structure? One of the patterns is a 717 uh, pattern. The, the one psalm in the middle is the only one written by King Solomon. In the first seven, there's two written by King David. In the back seven, there's two written by King David. In the front seven, David wrote Psalms two and four. In the back seven, David wrote Psalms three and five. So even in terms of how they're structured, there's some ascent or some some going up. The name of God is is mentioned 24 times in the first seven, and the name of God is mentioned 24 times in the back seven. Just the numbers within the passage, the way they're structured, it's just interesting. Well, one of the patterns that emerged is the one that I want us to look at today that I believe God had something special for his children, but he's also got something for us today, and that's breaking those 15 psalms into five groups of three. Now, as you can see there on your outline, there is a small Excel spreadsheet, and for some of you, without us going any further, you're experiencing God in ways like you never have You know, here at Seacoast. You look at that spreadsheet, you know exactly what's going on, you understand it. For the rest of us, we're gonna take just a minute and look at it. So five groups of three. Of these 15 psalms, time and time and time again, three different themes would emerge. And wherever his children were coming from in Israel, as they made their way up to Jerusalem, God continually presented him, presented them with these themes that their hearts and minds, that their bodies would be engaged differently. So today we're gonna look at these themes. What were they? What can we learn from them? And the group that I picked out for us to study together is Psalm 120, 121, and 122, though the themes present themselves over and over in each of these 15 psalms. And the way that we're going to look at them today is going to be a little bit different. Typically, I would kind of give you the answer to the fill in the blank and read you the passage, but we're gonna do two things different. One, as we read the Psalms, we're gonna stand up for the reading of God's word and we're gonna read it together. 
then the second thing we're gonna do is after we finish reading the psalm, I'm gonna ask you what, what words, words stood out to you. If you had to identify what was going on in the psalmist's heart or the attitude, the season that he's in, uh, what do you think the theme of the psalm would be? And that's when y'all are gonna scream out to me to kind of give me some answers. What do you see? So just prepare yourselves, don't be shy. When it's that time, let it fly. Let me know what you see, what you think. Uh, across to all of our campuses, scream out and we'll answer it together. So let's get started today in Psalm 120. If you would please stand and join me in the reading of God's word. It says this, Psalm 120. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you and what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. You may be seated. All right, so what word associations stand out? What do you think, what's his attitude? What's he feeling? If you had to identify a theme, what did you see? What's that? War, that's right. Lying. What else? Sadness, some, some distress. Over and over throughout each of these psalms, you can write this there at the top of your outline, the theme that presents itself within each of these is pain, suffering, and hardship. Pain, suffering, and hardship. I call on the Lord in my distress. Save me, Lord, from lying lips, deceitful tongues. I'm living among those who hate peace. Man, you can just hear pain, suffering, hardship over and over. It's so interesting to me that for the children of God, on their first step in this journey up to Jerusalem to experience the presence of God, he would say, hey, I want you to go back to the seasons of pain, suffering, and hardship. When was the time when you felt helpless, when you felt lonely, when you felt defeated? And don't, don't just remember the details or the circumstances of the season, but I, wanna, I want you to remember how it made you feel, that your heart might engage differently. Do you remember the last time you went through a season of pain or suffering of some kind? If you were to close your eyes and just think about it, man, I've, I've got a couple memories that as I think about, man, they can just stir my heart and bring about emotion quickly. By the time this year is over, 2017 will have proven to be a year of pain and suffering and hardship in my life. You've heard me talk a number of times about my, my dad. Uh, eight, nine months ago, he was diagnosed with brain cancer, then had a brain biopsy, which led to brain damage. And since that time, he's been through 20 some odd sessions of radiation, which has had a number of complications on his body, and to this point, he doesn't appear to be progressing well. A couple months ago, a couple weeks ago, I was tucking my six-year-old Asher into bed, and earlier this year, Katie's great-grandpa passed away. He was 94, had just met his 18th grand-grandchild, had lived a, a full life, and Asher asked me, he said, Dad, how come when Papa Poozie passed away, I wasn't very sad? But if Peepaw passes away, I'm gonna be very sad. So there we are tucking him in, and it was like, oh my gosh. He's, he's realizing there's a difference between a man who's lived a full life 
walked with God for a long time, who's going home to be with the Lord, and this man who's his hero that's, that's facing death. And here Asher is like pre-grieving, you know? His heart's engaged and he's not knowing how to process. And the easy thing for me in that moment was to be like, buddy, people are still alive. Hey, we're praying in faith that God can heal him. Remember, our theme for the summer was best summer yet. And what would the best summer look like? It would look like God resurrecting Peepaw. And we're believing he could do it. You know, the easier place for me to go is one of hope and positivity and celebration. But what kind of disconnect would he experience if I didn't let him feel the sadness and pain that he was asking me about in that moment? In just a few weeks, my parents are gonna move in with us for a while. Anytime the kids are around Peepaw, they have no boundaries. You know, they climb all over him, and I think it like forces him to be alert just because they're climbing all over him, showing him things, talking to him, and hugging on him. We just wanna be together as a family for a while. But what's unique about him moving in is that he's not just moving into the guest room to sleep in a bed, he's gonna be moving in in a hospital bed. And for a while, you know, whenever we go to their house, once or twice a week, every couple weeks, we're there for a day or two, and so they don't see or necessarily realize that, that people do everything for Peepaw feeding him, dressing him, caring for them. And so when he moves in and he's in that bed and they get to see that all day, every day, there's gonna be a different kind of emotion that they experience. Can you imagine what it would be like if as their father, I didn't allow them to process what was going on in their hearts, the emotions that they were having with the reality of what was going on in our home? Man, there would just be a, a disconnect if I was pumping positivity and faith, which I have and we hold on to. But man, it doesn't dismiss the sadness and the pain that we feel. Well, I think that's much what God was asking of, of his children as they went up to worship him in Jerusalem. He said, hey, I want you to remember where you were when you first encountered me. I want you to remember those seasons of pain and hardship. I wanna allow your heart to be moved. Don't just dismiss those moments as you come into my presence. Remember the pain. Allow your heart to be moved that you might enter my presence differently. But he didn't just leave them there in Psalm 120. He went on to Psalm 121 to show them the second theme. So please stand with me as we read Psalm 121 together. I'll tell you one of the interesting things about us standing up to read these. I would never say anything on a weekend, but every service, every weekend, we've got a handful of sleepers. And so... <laughs> <laughs> by standing up to read his word. I am throwing off your church game. You're know? <laughs> having a quiet time with the Lord. <laughs> right, so <laughs> you're gonna have to do that at the house, right? All right, Psalm 121. Let's read it together. It says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. You may be seated. So what words stood out to? If you had to identify a theme for Psalm 121, what would it be? Of trusting, what else? 
security, protection, confidence, hope. That's right, over and over throughout this second theme, the theme that you can write there at the top of your outline is of trusting God. In fact, that first line there in the psalm, I lift my eyes up to the mountain. Where does my help come from? Think about the last season of pain and suffering that you walked through. Typically, man, it is all that we see. We're in the weeds of it. All of the conversations, the phone calls, we're working through the what will I, what should I, what are we gonna do, distracted by the moments of it. But the psalmist says, I lift my eyes up. Where does my help come from? Gosh, not me. The stuff that I'm doing isn't working. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He rises up out of the craziness that he's feeling inside the seasons of pain and suffering, to make a conscious decision that I'm gonna trust in the Lord. I'm gonna trust in him. Just a couple weeks ago, at First Wednesday, a lady in our church took a fall and tripped over something, and she's one of those ladies that's in her, in her 80s, looks like she's in her 60s, and acts like she's in her 40s. You know anybody like that? <laughs> Just a spunky fireball. She got up like rebuking Satan, frustrated, she cut her eye, we're all thinking, oh no, but she's just getting up as fiery she's ever been, not wanting any help, I got it. Jesus is with me, we're like, well, you're bleeding, so why don't we go to, to the hospital a little bit? So, so my wife uh, rode with her to the hospital, and as she was uh, getting checked out, everything was okay, but she was gonna need a few stitches, and as Katie was telling me what happened, she said the doctors are coming in towards her with needles towards her eye, which isn't scary at all, right? And uh, she put her hands up and said, wait, 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 wait. And she closed her eyes and leaned her head back. A minute passes, she opens her eyes, says, okay. I had to talk with Jesus, we're all good. Do whatever you need to do. You know? <laughs> and I loved that picture. Because what it showed me is a woman who's walked with God for a long time, that knew any time the feelings of panic, of anxiety, of worry, of doubt, of fear, when those things come over us, man, it's so easy to stay there to be bogged down in it, but she was like, no, 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 no. All I gotta do is close my eyes to make a decision. God, you've been with me in the past, you're with me right now, you've proven yourself faithful over and over and over, and yeah, my heart's racing, I'm a little worried, but I'm telling you now, I trust in you. She opened her eyes, all right, do whatever you need to do, we're good, let's get it, let's get it going. Is that not the Christian life? Season after season after season, pain, struggle, hardship, it would be easy for us to stay there. It'd be even easier for us to forget those seasons, not process them, not, not bring that pain before the Lord, but forget about it. But he was telling them, hey, as you prepare to come and worship me, I want you to remember those seasons of pain. I want you to engage with your heart, but I don't want you to get stuck there. I want you to raise up out of that. Remember when you first made a decision to trust in me. Remember the times that I was with you Remember the times that I delivered you, that I healed you, the times you saw me do that in other people's lives. I can do that in yours as well. Regardless of how you feel or what's going on, make a decision to trust in me. Do you remember the first time that you put your trust in the Lord? I mean, it was my junior year of high school and I remember sensing God was calling me and I remember standing up and going forward and I knew that there was gonna have consequences in my life, that things were gonna be different, but I didn't know how but also knew he was calling me, so I didn't really care. Well, the next day at school, I'm walking through the hall and people had heard that I had accepted Christ and so walking up the hall with some of my buddies and somebody walks by and says, hey, Josh, congratulations. 
one of my buddies like, congratulations for what? What did you do, you know? And I was like, I hadn't anticipated that question. So it was like, Jesus, you know? I was like, what do you say? I didn't know, you know? But I had put my trust in him taking a step that, that had consequences in my life. And I think that's what God was calling them to here. Remember the seasons where you had to put your trust in God in such a way that it impacted your life, it impacted that moment. You didn't have the answers, you didn't have the solutions, you couldn't solve the problems, but man, as you put your trust in him, you were able to move forward. Remember the seasons of pain and suffering. Allow your heart to be engaged, but don't stay there. Remember when you first put your trust in God. Have faith, he has delivered you, he will deliver you. And they would move on to Psalm 122 there on the back of your outline. Please stand with me as we read that together. It says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statue given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. You may be seated. All right, so what words stand out to you there? If you had to identify a theme, what did you hear? He's gonna be with us, peace. What's, what's that? Speak out a little bit. Prosperity, prosperity. yeah. He, there's, there's a clear shift. They've gone from just just remembering seasons of pain and suffering, of deciding, wait, 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 no, God, we're gonna trust in you. To you actively hear the psalmist here, I rejoiced with those who said to me, to praise the name of the Lord, praying for peace over and over. The theme here that we see in this third set of psalms is of praising and worshiping God. Praising and worshiping God. You know, as I consider these three themes and question God, why would you have them remember pain and suffering? Go back to when they trusted in you and out of that praising and worshiping you, I evaluated my own worship of God of any, on any given weekend here at Seacoast. And unless I'm actively going through a season of pain and suffering, man, I'm not going there. Unless I'm in a, in a season or in a moment where I'm having to trust God with some kind of decision, I'm not necessarily there, my, my tendency on any given weekend is to come in and begin in this theme number three, just praising and worshiping God. In fact, if I am in a season of pain or struggle of some kind, and it's all encompassing, I just can't escape it, what I wanna do is just sit that aside for a little while, because there's something about praising God and worshiping him that I feel a sense of freedom in. I don't wanna bring all of that into worship with me. Yet for the children of God, as they went up into the presence of God, he said, I want you to bring all of that with you. Remember the pain and suffering and hardship that your hearts might be fully engaged. Remember trusting me that you, your minds might be engaged. And then praise and worship me that physically you might respond to me. 
you know, started thinking this week about, okay, well, what would this look like in my worship? What would this look like in our lives if I were to be intentional about engaging with God regularly? I live about 12 minutes or so from the church. I thought, what if on my, my drive into church on Sunday mornings, I kept the radio off, kept it quiet, and said, God, for first five or six minutes, I'm just gonna reflect on some hard seasons that I've walked through. Maybe be honest about some of the hard seasons that I'm in right now. I feel like pretty regularly I'll get a picture in my mind of where I'm at or of the future, something that'll just wreck me and be like, ooh, I can't, I can't go there right now, you know? Just be honest about the pain and suffering I'm in, seasons of hopelessness or helplessness, yet be reminded of God's faithfulness, that he's always been with me, that he's shown up in the past, he's gonna show up now. And then after five or six minutes, I shift to a place of trust, remembering the times that I've had to put my trust in the Lord. When I didn't know what the outcome was gonna be, I didn't know how the bill was gonna get paid, I didn't know where the food, the groceries were gonna come from, the times where we trusted in God and he provided. So that when I showed up here to worship, for that third theme, man, my heart was prepared, my mind was engaged. I was talking with my wife about this and she said, well, that would work great for you, Josh because you drive to church alone. But I'm in the car with six kids. There is no peace, no quiet you know, for me. I said, okay, okay, let's come up with another plan. What if you're not getting up on Sunday morning rushing out to school or work? What if you got up a little early and your worship service didn't begin when you walked through these doors, but it began maybe at your dining room table or on the couch with your Bible and a journal and you were to reflect on those same themes? You know, I've heard it said in the past, the guys will say, uh, I don't need to get ready, I stay ready. You ever heard that? I don't even really know what that means, but as a man, I'm like, yeah, we do. <laughs> Whatever that is, I like it though, you know? Well, for the children of God, they had to go up to Jerusalem to experience the presence of God. But on this side of the cross, for every believer, his spirit has been given to you, sealed in us, the Bible says, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, that he's coming back for us. And the gift of his Holy Spirit is what marks us as his, that we belong to him. We don't have to come to this church to experience his presence. We carry it with us everywhere we go. Church, I can't help but think, what would it look like for us to be a people who are familiar with where we came from, to identify our pain, our suffering, our hardship? to remember what it was like for us to trust in him, to regularly, wherever we were, know that we don't have to get ready, we stay ready. We can, we can jump into worshiping God wherever we are because man, the work that he's done in our lives is so fresh. Our need for him is so tangible. Church, he doesn't want your hands. He wants your heart. And if we're gonna engage with him in worship, if we're gonna come back to the heart of worship, then man, we just have to own that. We have to remember where he's taken us from trust in him. I think it's one of the reasons scripture says if anyone would come after him, he has to take up his cross daily. We've got to trust in him and out of that worship together. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for these Psalms of Ascent. I praise you, God, for the order and I thank you for your, your attention to our tendencies. God, that it's so natural for us to show up with the best of intentions and fail to fully engage. So God, I pray that as we continue to worship today, may you stir something in our hearts. God, would you be present in our minds for the places that even today we may need to make a conscious decision to trust in you. 
that as we continue to worship, God, that, that all of us would be fully present worshiping you, God, for you are worthy. God, we thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.